Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, if you want to open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. We're going to continue our series in Ruth this morning, and uh, while you do that, while you do that, I also just have to say, band was on fire today. Holy moly. Also, if you don't know anything about music, you should just go back and listen to the live stream from first service here, and you need to listen to Patrick play bass on the second verse of Saved, <laughs> because he's schooling people on how to play music. Like That was like a master class in how to be a musician, and I just... And people don't always say things nice about the bass players. So when you get a chance, you have to. That's right. Okay, Ruth chapter 3. And the title of today's message is Bold Moves. Bold Moves. Uh, This series in Ruth is, it's about a lot of things. It's about friendship. Uh, It's about faithfulness. It's about the presence of God in your life when it doesn't seem like God is in your life. One of the things we noticed in this book is God is rarely mentioned. But God is very present. And so that's part of the message there as well. Ruth is also a book about like who's in and who's out. We talked about this in week one, that Ruth is a Moabite woman. And in Israel, that means like you're out. But one of the things we see is that as this book goes along, the person that everybody thinks is out is actually the person who's most in. So this is also uh, clearly a book about like, Who's marginalized and what does God think about the marginalized? Uh, This is also a book about who's a foreigner and what does that mean for the rest of us? Like this is classic Old Testament, you know. Uh, This is one of those books where everything the Old Testament says about the foreigner, uh, it comes to bear. Like over and over again, God says, you have to take care of the foreigner, uh, the people who are soldiering with you, the people who are living in your land, the people who have come across the border, like you have, to, you have to somehow welcome them. So this is a book about that as well. But one of the things we also see is that Ruth chapter three in particular, uh, this is a book about bold moves, like really bold moves. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about bold moves. Uh, and uh, I want to start by saying this, that for the most part here at the Vineyard, and not just at the Vineyard, but like me personally, uh, I believe in playing the long game. Like in, in basically everything in life, you, here's what you want to do. You want to play the long game, okay? Uh, it doesn't matter what, what area or what part of your life. Uh, you don't want to get caught up in like a quick moment, but in almost every area, what you want to do is you want to play the long game. Like relationally, you want to be a wise person, play the long game. Uh, what does that mean? It means give people grace, it means, it means have some kind of understanding in your head and in your heart, if you can, that everybody's in the process of transformation. Everybody's becoming something, and that includes you. So sometimes the best thing to do is just kind of like give people a little bit of mercy, right? Yeah, play the long game. Everybody's in process. When it comes to money, here's what we believe at the Vineyard. Play the long game. Play the long game. When it comes to money, uh, don't give in to get-rich-quick pyramid schemes. Uh, Instead, what would be better for you is go to work, uh, try to invest some of your money somewhere. Uh, If you get a chance, uh, take advantage of compounding interest. 
It won't make much difference in this year or next year, but in 40 years, you could be a school teacher and you could be a millionaire. Why? Because you're playing a long game. That's what people do. Play the long game. Uh, in your goals, whatever they are, play the long game. Uh, do the little things today. Uh, it's better to be steady. It's better to be steady. Like if you could be 80% good and be steady like 80%, it's better to be like a 70 or 80% every day than be 110% some days and a 40 on other days. Like just be a 70 every day. It will, it will, it will change your life. Show up. Just keep showing up. How many of you know that most of life is just showing up? Like, just show up. If you just show up, things will change. In parenting, play the long game. Here's what that means. Do the hard thing now. Do the hard thing now. Some of you are parents. Uh, Heather and I are parents. We have four. We got some older ones. You know, I got one, my number two son, who's a giant. He turned 20 yesterday. And I'm now beginning to become a little bit confident and, and handing out some parenting advice because we've raised some kids. And let me just say, uh, the early returns on them are pretty good. Like they're turning out okay. The last one, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. But here's what you want to do if you're a parent. You want to play the long game. And part of that means do the hard thing now. Do it now. Do it when they're young. Because when it's 15, it might be too late. But when it's two, you can form that little sucker. You can, you really can. And let me tell you something, when they get older and they show up poorly, play the long game, play the long game. Don't get too high and don't get too low based on how, how well you think your kids are doing. Just play the long game, stay connected, play the long game. It will all work out. Spiritually, I just wanna say this as well, play the long game. Same thing. Uh, I'm trying to develop a lifelong love for God in my life. You know, one of the things I'm not impressed with, people who are super zealous for a little while. Anybody can be zealous for a little while. Anyone can get hooped up on revival for six months. But here's what I want to know. Can you love Jesus for 70 years? I am much more interested in the person who can love Jesus for 70 years rather than the person who locks themselves away to pray for another Asbury revival for six months. Play the long game. Play the long game. That's what you want to do. Play the long game. I'm not super pumped in the overnight fast stuff. Uh, if it's real, if it's real, and Jesus says this too, if it's real, it remains. If it's real, it'll remain. And so what you want is you want some kind of steadiness, right? You want this longer thing in your life. Okay, now I've just given you an eight-minute introduction on play the long game. Uh, now let me tell you the opposite. The rest of today is about the opposite. <laughs> right? And yet, so I've been saying play the long game, and yet uh, there are moments in your life to make a bold move. Uh, I was reading some history this week. Sometimes I just like to read books, and I like to read books that have nothing to do with anything that I'm working on. Anybody else like that? You just need a book that takes your brain into someplace else. And so I've been reading, I've been reading a book about the American Revolution, which is a very, like, middle-aged white guy thing to read. <laughs> I mean, I'm very aware of that. You know, it's like, how do you know you've become middle-aged white guy? Uh, well, you start reading books about World War II and, and the American Revolution. That's how you know. Well, I'm reading one of those right now. And I started reading this chapter this week about all of these key moments where, where, like, where the republic hung by a thread. 
right? And there's all these key moments. And how many of you remember the Paul Revere guy? You know, what did Paul Revere say? The red coats are coming. You know, he makes his rod. And apparently he rode about 16 miles. He told a bunch of people, woke them up, got them ready, right? But what you don't realize is, is that there was another person who made a ride around the same time. And instead of a guy, it was a girl. And instead of an older guy, it was a younger girl. She was 16. How many of you have ever heard the name Sybil Luddington? Anybody ever heard of Sybil Luddington? She rode 40 miles overnight, nearly killed her horse. Bold moves. It's because her dad was in the militia. And how many of you know that if you're sending your 16-year-old daughter to run around when the country's at war to tell everybody what's up, that's next level trust. And if you're the girl, that's a bold move. How many of you know, sometimes you want to play the long game, sometimes you have to get on your horse and ride, right? Yeah, Sybil Luddington, you should read about that. Uh, I was also reading this week in the Harvard Business Review, uh, this pretty long article about the importance of bold moves, especially early in a person's career. So the, the, the very beginning of your career, especially in your 20s, and then this is like doubly true if you're a woman. So this is a very long article, and it's about like, what do you do once you start your career, and especially if you're a woman? Uh, here's, here's the summation of the, of the whole article. You have to take bold moves in your 20s, because what happens in your 20s is going to exponentially affect where you land for the rest of your life and your career. And this is like basically doubly true if you're a woman, right? You, you absolutely have to take some kind of big chance. Uh, lifetime earnings were directly connected to the moves one makes right at the start. Uh, here's some of the things they talked about. Uh, do you take the safe position when you get out of college? the one you're 100% qualified for, or do you stretch into something you might not be perfectly qualified for, but you want? If you do the second, you end up much further along. If you always choose the safe thing, by the end of your career, you're making usually less than half the money you could have been making by only stretching a little bit here and there in your 20s. Uh, other things like this, do you speak up in meetings? Uh, this is a huge one. Do you volunteer for bigger tasks? And when you sit in a company meeting, if there's a problem, are you the person who volunteers to fix the problem? If you're in your 20s, uh, if you're in your beginning of your career, and especially if you're a woman and you're starting your career and you're sitting in a staff meeting and you're not speaking up, uh, by the time you're in your 60s, you're gonna make less than half the money. Uh, if you don't volunteer to take on challenges, it's going to set you back, right? What do you need? You have to take bold moves. And I love the end of the article because they were interviewing this one particular woman. And this is essentially what she said. She said, she said, there are risks in taking bold moves, but she says, what people don't realize is there are also risks for inaction and the risks associated with inaction over the aggregate of a, of a person's career actually outweigh bold action. So not doing something, just chilling, just getting by, uh, that will actually have a much, much bigger negative gravity on your career. So I'm just talking, am I talking to the young people this morning? I hope I am. Like, listen, uh, there's a row here, there's a row here, there's some over here. Like, you got to lock eyes. Like, we need to lock in right here. 
uh, for the next 10 years, you need to press the gas pedal down on initiative, speaking up, taking on risks, taking on challenges, and be the person who fixes things wherever you work. If you do that, it changes your career. If you don't, it's a boat anchor. Now, what if you're in your 40s? Uh, Do it right now. It's never too late to start, right? That's what changes things. Bold moves. Uh, I've started today's uh, message talking about bold moves because it's in the middle of the text. And um, we should probably read the text. Oh my gosh. Dude, I don't even know what to do. Let's see here. Um, Let's just put like the first five verses up, okay? Let's just do that. And then I'm just going to tell you the story. Can we do that? If I read the first five verses, will you just believe me about the rest? I hope you've already read it. Okay, so we know chapter one, Ruth, Naomi's, their husbands die. They come back to Israel. Chapter two, they glean, they glean grain from Boaz's field. Chapter three, this is pretty wild. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I got to find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor, underlined threshing floor. Uh, Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes, girl. (laughs) And then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Okay, so when you read this, when you read this, how many of, how many of you feel squirrely? Anybody in here feel squirrely? Here's what I want you to know. I don't have time to go into this whole passage. You should feel squirrely, okay? Uh, if you want to read something really fun, if you want to read something extracurricular, like bonus, if you want to read something really fun, Uh, read some of the scholarship about what it might mean for someone to uncover another person's feet and lie down. (laughs) It's just a bonus round, okay? Now, here's the thing. I actually don't think this is quite as salacious as we might believe. And here's why I don't think it's quite as salacious as we might believe. And some scholars do believe it's super salacious, okay? So just putting that out there. Here's why I don't think it's quite salacious as it maybe might first hit you. Uh, One reason would be everything that's happened in this book up to this point has shown that Ruth is like a really good and faithful person, right? But we'll come back to that. So here's what happens. Naomi says, Ruth, you got to get cleaned up. Put on your best dress, put on some perfume, smell good, and you got to go find Boaz, okay? And you need to uncover his feet and you just need to do whatever he says. So she does this. She pays attention. Where is he at in the threshing floor? And the Bible says that Boaz, uh, he ate some food and he drank some wine and he was in high spirits and he went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Ruth goes to him. She uncovers his feet and she lies down. And then uh, in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up and says, what, there's a woman at my feet? You know, you can imagine this. And he says, what are you, who are you and what are you doing? And, he, and, she, and, and Ruth says, well, uh, I'm your servant, Ruth. Uh, why don't you spread, spread your cover? Put your blanket over me, right? Which is also a strange thing to say. 
But here's basically what Ruth was saying to him. Uh, Boaz, you need to marry me. And Boaz is like, wow, this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing. You've shown yourself to be even more faithful to your family than I thought you were. You didn't run after a younger or a rich guy, but you've come to me. And he goes, and I would love to marry you, but the truth is, is I'm not your closest relative. And so tomorrow when we wake up, uh, I need to go make sure that your closest relative doesn't want to be your redeemer. And if your closest relative doesn't want to be your redeemer, then I will be your redeemer. And you should just lie here for the night. So they lie there the night. And then Boaz wakes her up uh, early in the morning so that no one sees them. And he gives her six big loads of grain to take back to Naomi. And he says, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And I don't know if that story hits you as a bold move, but it should. That is, that's just a bold move. And uh, I, I just want to offer this morning a, a quick little outline, and we're just going to power through like we have never powered through. <laughs> You've got to stick with me here. Here's how you make bold moves. You got to be awake to the strategic moment. If you can, make an appeal to righteousness. Everything happens on the threshing floor. Okay, this is a strategic moment. Like sometimes there are strategic moments where you have to make a bold move, where you can't simply play the long and steady game, but you have to do something like right now. There's not tomorrow, but it's right now. Um, Naomi has Ruth get all fancied up. We know that. And, and she goes down and she uncovers Boaz's feet. And by the way, the reason this is a bold move is because this is crazy. Like women, A, don't approach men like this. Also, it's at night. Uh, also, it's private. This is a moment where, for the most part, women and men don't hang out private unless they're married. So there's, he's asleep. Uh, other people could see. Uh, the, the, the optics on this are super bad. Like everybody would think, Ruth, like what kind of woman are you? Like we thought you were good in these first two chapters. Now what are you doing? And Ruth is going to Boaz to basically ask for marriage. That's, that's bold. That's not the way it works. Uh, there's, no, there's no families working it out with them. It's, this is a person who's like on the edge. So it's like bold moves, but it's a strategic moment. And uh, Ruth is pushing for marriage and you have to ask yourself why. Well, one reason would be in the previous two chapters, Ruth has learned that Boaz is a good man and she doesn't have anyone. So like, like part of the strategic moment is, is like she's waking up to who she's with, right? Uh, he's not just a rich man and he is a rich man. He's not just a stable man, but he's a good and generous man. And he lets Ruth uh, glean from his fields and he tells the young men to leave her alone and don't give her any trouble. And so Ruth is making this bold move. But it's a, it's a bold move that's rooted in good strategic thinking, right? So when you're going to make a bold move in your life, whether it's in your natural life or in your spiritual life, it needs to be rooted in good, good strategic thinking. And Ruth's and Naomi's good strategic thinking is, is this. Boaz is a good man. Like, don't go, hook, don't go hook your cart to a bad guy, right? They found a good guy, so you make your play. But then there's more. Uh, all the action up to this point in the narrative has been centered on the harvest, right? They come home and Naomi's picking up the sheaths of grain that are left over by the harvesters. And that's been going on for a while. 
But now, if they're at the threshing floor, what does that mean? Harvest is what? It's over. Okay, so if you've been, if you've been living on the edge of the field, if you've been living on, and picking up the grains that the, the harvesters leave behind, and now that season is over, what does that mean for you? It means, it means your options are drying up, even if the guy's good, right? So there's, the strategic moment here is two things. Number one, they found a good man. And number two, it means the season has changed. Like the way you made it before is not going, it cannot be the way you make it now because the crops, the crops are in the barn. We're doing a different work. It's a strategic moment. The harvest is over. Everything in chapter three happens at the threshing floor. Grain's in the barn. A different kind of work has to be done. The last season is over. So Naomi and Ruth are feeling a different kind of pressure. Like part of making bold moves is realizing and understand the season that you're living in. You have to know the seasons. Uh, one of the ways that you know the seasons have changed is when the questions change. And with the end of the grain gathering, Ruth and Naomi were feeling pressure. And the question in this new season is this, who will care for me now? Like Boaz cared for me in this last season, but the question is, that season is over. There's no more grain to gather. The question now is, who will care for me now? Is it the same person who cared for me in the last season? And so one of the things we have to understand when it comes to bold moves is this, a change in question is often a sign that we're living in a new season and a new kind of action will be required for us. And it's often gonna be a bold action. So strategic moment, like, do you know the season? Have the questions changed? If the questions have changed in your life and it's a different season, it's probably gonna require bold action. Like you'll have to change. You can't keep doing the same thing. You know, that's just the way it works. Number two, appeal to righteousness. Uh, one reason that Ruth can be so bold is uh, she knows that Boaz is a good guy. Uh, she knows that the, the season has changed. It's a different day. Different questions emerge. But the third reason that Ruth can be so bold is that she has righteousness on her side. And I want to read three quick scriptures for a moment. Let's put up uh, Leviticus 25, 47 through 49. I got two from Leviticus, my favorite. Look at this. If a foreigner is residing among you, becomes rich, and any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to the foreigner or a member of the foreigner's clan, they retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. One of their relatives may redeem them an uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in their clan can redeem them. Here's, here's what it's saying. Like if you, if you become so poor that the only thing you have to sell is your body, then someone from your family can go buy you back. And in fact, not, it's not just can, they must go buy you back. Okay, the next one from Leviticus. 25, 25. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, the nearest relative is to come and redeem what they've sold. So if you become poor and you have to sell your property, it, it, it's actually eventually the responsibility of your extended family to buy that property back and not just for themselves, but for you. Think about that. Third scripture, Deuteronomy. 
if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. And the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So it was a strategic moment. Ruth knew that Boaz was a good guy. The seasons had changed. The questions had changed. Who will take care of me now? But here's the, here's the other reason she can make a bold move. Because Ruth knows, Ruth knows that she's got righteousness on her side. Righteousness is on her side. Uh, the Old Testament was clear on this matter of what is called a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. If one lost a husband their land, or their own agency. It was their family's duty to buy them back. And here's what that does. Uh, number one, it keeps families together. Uh, and it keeps their property in the family name, which is the Old Testament way of saying it keeps you rich. It keeps you out of poverty. And I want you to notice something from the Old Testament perspective. Uh, notice that wealth and well-being were not just the responsibility of one person, but it's the responsibility of the community. Why don't you, you know what we could do? We could just take that one thing I just said to you and just let it inform everything. Like a, like a, person's, a person's lot in life was not just their responsibility, it was actually also the responsibility of their family. Think about it. And so Ruth can make a bold move because she has scripture and she has righteousness on her side. When we're making bold moves, we need to consider if we have some solid ground to stand on, and what makes the, so, what makes the ground solid? Uh, here's this question. Here's how you know the ground is solid. Is it in the heart of God? Like if you're gonna make a bold move, you know, yeah, have some strategic thinking. Do you know the seasons? Have the questions changed? Uh, do, you need, do you need a new source of provision? But then the next level of making a bold move is to ask yourself this. Do I have any solid ground to stand on? And here's how you know. Uh, is it in God's heart? Is it in God's heart? And so Ruth can go to Boaz because Boaz is a part of their extended family. And she can say to him, dude, Leviticus two times and Deuteronomy at least once says, you, you got to take me in. Think about that. Number three, the threshing floor. All the action takes place on the threshing floor. Uh, and by the way, the, the, the threshing floor is just a, a terrific metaphor for life. Everything that happens in this chapter is there, right? And what is the threshing floor? It's, where you, it's the barn you bring the grain into, and there will oftentimes be like a stone floor, and they would beat the stalks of grain, and what they would do is they would separate the grain from the stalk and the chaff, right? So you could get the usable part and get the unusable stuff out of the way. And here's what happens when you make bold moves. The thing that happens is something in your life will be separated from a, some other part of your life. Uh, there, there's going to be a winnowing. Uh, there are going to be stalks and chaff removed from you. The threshing floor is a metaphor for harvest, but it's also a word about separation. Or maybe another way to say that is it's a word about letting go. You have to let go of something in order to get the thing that's valuable, right? You have, to, you have to let go of a thing in order to get the thing that's most precious or useful. In order to see the new thing or to bring the fruit, 
Uh, something else has to be separated from it and something has to be let go. And there, there are many layers of threshing that happen in Ruth chapter three. So number one, Ruth is on the threshing floor. She's on the threshing floor and the kernel of her request and hope for a future is what's, is what's in play. Uh, her, her hope and Naomi's hope for, for, for care and for a future, that's the seed, but, but some things have to be let go of. She has to let go of her previous life for good. There will be no going back. That's the stalk. You have to let it go. You know, uh, everything that was, was previous is, is gone. Uh, letting go to the previous season. Uh, and, and what's revealed is that Ruth is not only a faithful friend to Naomi, but what's revealed is that uh, Ruth is really a person of courage. And so in this moment on the threshing floor, Ruth is being threshed. It's, and, and, the, and the kernel, the grain there is her hope for a future and her hope for care. And the thing that is being separated is her previous life. But it's also the thing that's being separated is like her potential dignity, right? You have to take a risk. And so sometimes it'll cost you your dignity to get your hope. Uh, Boaz is on the threshing floor that night too. And the thing that's laid bare uh, is that in the end, we find out that Boaz is actually generous, we find out that he's actually a good person. He really is someone who does what is right. Uh, and he has to let go of his previous life too. Uh, one of the things we know about Boaz is he's an older guy. Uh, he was probably in his late 70s. He might have been 80 when this was going down, uh, which means this. He probably already had his own family. And now he was going to inherit a new family. And here's what happens when you inherit a new family. Uh, you get more beauty and you get more goodness. But here's the other thing that happens when you get a new family. It means you get more drama and you get more responsibility. And in one single moment of his life, he ends up with something maybe he wasn't expecting in that season. So he, his life gets winnowed out and sifted, you know? But then, here, then there's a third, a third person who gets brought to the threshing floor. And it's God. There's a sense in which God is in the threshing floor as well. And what's revealed is, is that God is really good. And he really is working everything to good for those who love him. Uh, it's in the background in this text, but he's, also, he's always present. Like, like all the questions that Naomi or Ruth may have had about their lot in life or if God has been with them, uh, they're bringing those to the threshing floor. And, and all of their previous opinions are going to have to be let go of so that they can see that God is really good. And so today, here's what I would like to say to the church. Uh, this, is a, this is a season for us to come to the threshing floor and make some bold moves. Uh, every person in here, you know, play the long game. Like in general, that's just what we do. We're vineyard people, so we're going to play the long game. But here's what I also know. I know that for many of us, maybe even now, uh, is a season for us to make a bold move. And if it isn't now, there will eventually be a moment where you have to make a bold move. You'll have to come to the threshing floor. And, and here's what that means. You'll have to let go of something in order to lay hold of something. You'll have to have, you'll have, to have your, your real motives exposed. You'll have to let go of some things that were precious to you in order to, in order to, to take on the new thing. And, and I just want to say for, for us here at the church, uh, this, is, this is probably a season 
where we're about to have to come into a moment to make some bold moves. You know, as a, like an actual church family, we're, we're about to that spot again where we have to do some things. Uh, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it this week. Um, this is probably a season where we need to pray for the Spirit to be poured out. We need to pray for the Spirit to be poured out so that the thing that started this church, so that it could be passed on to another generation. You know? You know, sometimes, sometimes you got to pray. You, sometimes you got to play the long game. And we want to be steady and we want to be faithful and, and we want to show up and we want to serve communion and do kids' church and, and we want to take them to Camp Vineyard and all those things. But how many of you know that's all good and well, but really what's needed is for everybody to have an encounter with the Spirit. And so this is, this is a moment for us to come to the threshing floor and say, God, would you pour out your Spirit again? Would you, would you wake up some people? Would you wake up some people? And uh, for a moment here, I, I want to talk to maybe... I want to talk to maybe the, the late teens and early 20-somethings that are in the room uh, this morning. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Uh, this church, this church was not started by people in their 20s and in their late teens. It was started by people in their 60s. But I do want you to know this. This church was energized by people in their late teens and their 20s. And this church was pushed forward by people who responded to the Spirit of God in their 20s in late teens and did things that no one, no one in their right mind would normally let people that age do. Like, I just want you to know, like if you, if you are in your late teens and early 20s, you need to listen to God in this next season and you need to take seriously the possibility that he might be inviting you to take some risks and do some things in ministry here that you think you're not allowed to do. It's, time, it's like, it's literally a time for bold moves. I mean, I love that Lena was up here leading worship this morning. Uh, but there, that's just one and we need more. Like, this is ridiculous, you know? And, and this is a season, this is a season for bold moves. Like, if you are in your 20s this morning, everything I shared earlier from the Harvard Business Review, it's also true, uh, it's also true in following Jesus in matters of the Spirit. Like, it's time to get brave it's time to stop going to home groups and it's time to start leading them. And it's time to stop going to meetings on campus and it's time to start leading them. And I'm really talking to you guys this morning. Like it's time to lead. You're called to much, much more than you may think. You're not called to just listen to dudes like me. You're called to do the things that I'm doing and to do the things that these guys are doing. That's what you're called to do. It's time for bold moves, especially if you're in your 20s. And if you're in your 40s or in your 50s, here's what you're called to do this morning. You're called to support the people who are in their late teens and in their 20s to do the thing. Like, like, like you're called to be a Boaz. Give them some grain. Give them a house. Give them a place. That's what you're called to do. I have a feeling this is a season for us to begin to cry out, Lord Jesus, would you pour out your spirit again? And if you're in these windows... This is a season for you to take a risk and to try things that you, that you may not feel like you're ready to do uh, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like It's that Harvard Business Review thing. Quit taking the safe job you're 100% for and start doing the thing that maybe you're only 70% capable of because God will fill in the other 30% and give you more. 
Can I tell you that? Yeah, it is time. It is time. I'm going to tell you one, one little story. When, when Heather and I, when Heather and I were in our early 20s, uh, and we were not graduated from college yet, like I was like 20, Heather and I led some home groups here at the Vineyard that exploded. And the, one of the last home groups that we led had 70 college kids in it, and it was in Damon Rivers' restaurant. And there were, there were so many people there, you couldn't see even what was going on in the living room. And, and we saw as, as much activity of the Holy Spirit there in that season that I've ever seen in my whole life. It's, it, it's literally time for people to just go, you know what? It's not someone else. It's me. God is calling me out. Uh, here's the other thing I want to say. I, I've just had this sense that this morning that, uh, that, that, that God may be calling some people to take a step in ministry and service. Like There may be people here who have an actual call to ministry, and you're not called... You're not called to sports management. You're called to ministry. Or you're not called to, to economics. You're called to ministry and you know it and you've chosen the safe thing. And, and let me tell you something. I've been thinking about this this week. Jesus comes to Matthew and Matthew is at the tax table and he has no friends because he sold everybody out to make money. And he's got a pile of money on the table. And when Jesus comes to Matthew and says, will you follow me? Uh, Matthew leaves the money. He leaves all the money and he follows Jesus. And I want to tell you, when Matthew died, he didn't care about the money. Like it's a great trade. Whatever you think Jesus is asking you to trade, it's a, it's a good deal. It's a good deal. And at the end of his life, Matthew had friends and he had Jesus and, he, and he's, he's apostle forever. And Revelation says that there's a foundation stone laid in heaven with his name on it. You know, let's not joke here. You know, some of us are getting degrees from the university that you may not even be called to because Jesus is giving you an invitation for something better. And you should step up from the table and make a bold move, especially in your 20s. You know, and some of us here are working jobs and you're like, look, dude, work the job, like provide for your family. Paul says, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And he's not wrong. But I also want to say this, that when Jesus invites you to something else, say yes. There, I mean, do the long game, but there is a time and a place in your life to do the bold move, to come to the threshing floor and ask Boaz to put his cover over you to ask Jesus to extend his blanket over you and to come into his house and receive his care. I am way late today, but I'm preaching pretty good. I'm preaching pretty good. No, I know. I know this. Mm. Not ways to give. Hey, can we put my title slide up before we're done? It's at the very top. I just wanted you to see the Mark Chagall painting I found. It's all good. Mm. Uh, there may be some others here. Uh, you're just... It's just time for you to step into ministry and service here in a new way. You know, it may not even be like full-time ministry, but you're just, you're just called to make a place for other people. You know, God isn't actually asking you to leave your 
job, but he's asking you to make your house somebody else's house. You know, and maybe they don't even live with you, but he's asking you, you know, could your living room be for other people occasionally? Like some really bold moves. Oh, I have so many other things. We just have to stop. Lord Jesus, will you just fill in everything I've missed? That's what we'll pray this morning. If you're on the worship team, come on up. Actually, don't. We're good. We're good. We're good. Like, we're good. Sorry, guys. We have, you're going to have to come up in nine minutes anyway. And the second service is arriving. Oh, my gosh. Why don't you stand up? I'm going to pray. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.